0: to finish up Jonah, so turn to Jonah chapter 5. <laughs> Who'd I get? Who fell for it? It's only four chapters in Jonah. 2nd <clears throat> okay. Chronicles chapter 20 is where we'll be this morning. 2nd Chronicles chapter 20, and today we're going to be answering the question on how to respond to a crisis. <clears throat> now, the 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 message that we're going to be um, uh, receiving this morning is going to be from chapter twenty, Second Chronicles chapter twenty, the entire chapter. But however, we're probably not going to get through that entirely this morning. So this morning we'll probably talk about how to respond to a crisis. Following up in the next week or two about how to go through a crisis and how to come out of one, as well. So. If I could just direct you, direct you to the book of Second Chronicles in chapter 20, but to get a running start, this gets us to a point in time where Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat, he is a godly king. He is one who fears the Lord. And during his reign, he did... Um, he did several different good things. And one of those things that I believe really sets the foundation for how he was actually able to respond to this crisis and how the people of Judah were able to respond to the crisis is found back in chapter 17 and in verse 7. So if you would just kind of read, read along with me here. It says, In the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hel, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah, to teach the cities of Judah. And then... And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethalina, Nethalina. okay, we'll skip those names as we go, go through there. But these were Levites, these were priests, and with them um, Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. And the reason why he sent out these prophets and priests was for, the, was for n- number nine. So they taught in Judah, and they had the book of the law of the Lord with them, They went throughout all of the cities of Judah and taught the people. So they were giving them a grounding foundation about the law of God in Judah. This is what King Jehoshaphat put in order. He was the one who inaugurated the system of public instruction and specifically the instruction of the very law of God. So they would have an understanding of how they were to, to obey God and the expectations that God had upon his people. And that may have been why he had such a successful reign, and, uh, <clears throat> and a God-glorifying reign, because he taught his people the importance of knowing the law of God and what God expected of them. Another thing that he did is we kind of skim through chapter 18. He actually joins allies with the king of Israel. At that time, he was not a good king. But, however, he was asked to come and join him in an invasion of Ramoth Gilead. And he says, that he says, I'd be glad to help you out, but let's hear from the Lord. Can you gather your prophets and see what God has to say about this? So he brings all of his prophets in, and uh, they said, yes, you can go do it. And then Jehoshaphat, kind of recognizing who these prophets were, he says, do you have any prophets of the Lord here? Are there any of those left around? He goes, yeah, I've got one, but I don't, ever, I don't ever like what he says, so I don't listen to him. And then Jehoshaphat says, well, let's don't say such a thing. Go send for him and let's see what he has to say. And then this prophet did confirm. He said, yes, you can go and you can invade Ramoth Gilead. You will be successful, but however, King Ahab, you're going to die. And he was like, exactly what I told you was going to happen. He never says anything good about me. So King Ahab, the king of Israel, and um, Jehoshaphat went into battle. And, and what happened is that what the prophet said would happen exactly happened. They were successful in their inv- invasion. But however, King Ahab was uh, was struck with a random arrow shot in the air that, that just found its place between the joints in his armor. And he was injured and he was pulled off the battlefield. And later on that evening, he in fact died. But however, the success and the victory over Ramoth Gilead Happened, the victory was there just as God said that it would happen. And then, even now, after Jehoshaphat returns home from this battle. He continues to set up structures within his kingdom that will be honoring and glorifying to God. He continues after not only having the instruction that is there, you know, all throughout the cities as the law of God is being proclaimed and taught to the people, he now sets up judges throughout, uh, throughout Judah. And he gives them strong instruction as well as warnings that you are a judge for God. You do not work for man. So therefore, don't take any bribes judge righteously don't be biased in anything you do because this is God's work and he set up a godly structure of justice within Judah so he's doing a lot of good things he has experienced God's hand he's experienced God's grace he's experienced the victory through the, as um as whenever the word of God was spoken to him he's seen where God has come through his promises and the victories that he has um, taken on um in the battles that he has taken on So he has a very strong foundation here. He fears the Lord God, but in chapter 20, his world gets rocked pretty good. He faces an incredible crisis that gets him completely off guard, but let's see how he responds to this. So let's just uh, briefly go through chapter 20. We're going to skip a couple, and then we're going to come back, and then we're going to really see how this, how this uh, turn of events actually happened. So in verse 1, it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazar Tamar, which is Gedai. So this is a crisis that he's being faced, An army is coming after him in battle. Now the second thing that I want you to notice in verse 12, this is a part of his prayer that we'll get into here in just a little bit, but he says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude, nor do we know what to do. Now, I'm sure as many of us who are in here today have faced times and tragedies and crises in our lives, and it has been just that. It has been something that has just blindsided us, something that has taken us over. It is a problem that is too big for us to handle. We can't do it on our own. And the only thing that we know that we can do is say, look, I've got no power against this great multitude, and I have no idea how to handle it. But so... As, as we can maybe relate to what Jehoshaphat is going through here, there's still a good response that we will be able to find when it comes to these incredible things that we have no power or control over. So we see he's in a very, uh, he's in a pretty good predicament here where he's in a very, um, um, very bad spot because the enemies are coming in. But then we see in verse 30, if you we'll just skip over there, we'll get to the rest of everything. Just, just follow me. It says, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So we've gone to, from a crisis to peace. And there's, even, there's one thing that we want more than anything when we're facing a crisis or a tragedy. And when things are not going very well for us, what do we want the most? We want peace and rest all around us. So how does he get from one point to the other? And how does God work in and through Jehoshaphat as well as the people of Judah to bring them from a point of a crisis to a, point of, uh, to a time of peace and rest. So let's take a look. You ready? I hope so because that's where we're going. All right, so the first thing that we we're going to find out in verses 1 and 2, what we've already done is we have identified the... Yes, the crisis has been Identified. The crisis has been identified in verse 2. It says, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Hez- Tamar, which is in Gedai. How many of y'all know the significance of those places? I didn't either. Okay. But what we're going to find here, but the reason why this is such a big crisis is because of where they are. Is it a new thing for the children of Israel to go into battle? No. That's kind of like the -the run-of-the-mill thing, to to go into a battle or to evade another country or to to defend themselves. They have their own armies. So what's the big deal about this? Well, the thing about it is is that you see here where the Ammonites are, the Moabites and the Edomites, and also Mount Seir, which is south of Judah. These are the ones who have joined forces together. And not only do they just join forces together, but by the time they found out about the invasion, they're already there at Engidai. Y'all see where that is? They've already infiltrated their property. They are halfway to the, to the capital city, Jerusalem, and they're just now fi- finding out about it. This crisis is something that, that came to their knowledge, and they're already in their backyard. The element of surprise is given to the enemies of God here. And yes, whenever he doesn't have time to create an army, doesn't have time to rally the troops, he doesn't have any time to call the allies and send out people for help to come, come with this. They are invading, they are on the back door, and they are here, and there's nothing that he can do about it. So that gives you the severity of the crisis that he is actually facing here. They are on the back doorstep. They're knocking on the door. And he had no idea until they had already come in and infiltrated such a thing. And yes, so even whenever we are faced with various trials, a lot of times they do come at us and just blindside us and knock us, knock us down completely. So however, this is a, this is a very um, this is a di- dire situation for the, for the people of Judah as well as King Jehoshaphat. But however, the first part is done. The crisis is identified. They know the problem. And whenever we find ourselves in a crisis, the worst thing we could probably, probably do is absolutely nothing. We need to be able to respond to a crisis, but how would God have us to respond? That's the question. You know, whenever we are faced with a, um, with a crisis, a lot of times we want to find out the why. Why is this happening? Or how did this come to be? But all reality, those can help maybe in, in perspective and, and, and stopping it from happening again later in the future. But the question we really need to ask is God, what would you have me do now that I'm in this crisis? How can I glorify you in the situation in which I am now? What do you want me to do? So, does Jehoshaphat do that? Well, we, th- we take a look here in verse 3, verses 3 through 5. Starting verse 3, it says, And Jehoshaphat feared. And he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, there's a lot of things that Jehoshaphat could have done. Okay, he could have frantically panicked and tried to get as much of an army gathered together as he possibly could. He could have hightailed it out of there and just left Judah stranded. He could have told the people of Judah and caused a panic and said, Guys, y'all are going to have to go because there's nothing that we can do. But understanding the magnitude of the army that was coming against him, knowing that he had absolutely uh, no power against them, he sets himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. The first thing that we need to understand when we find ourselves in a crisis is we need to set ourselves to seek the Lord. God, what would you have me to do now? We seek his face. In verse 4 it says, so Judah gathered together, and they asked him and asked help of the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, notice as what we talked about earlier is that these people have been educated in what? The very law of God. They have been trained. They have been taught. They have respected the, the word of God. They fear the Lord. And now Jehoshaphat has proclaimed a, face, or a fast, and now we see that Judah and all of his people are now gathering together to do what? to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And then Jehoshaphat, in verse 5, he stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in a new house of the Lord before the new court. So what we saw, we saw, a, so we saw Jehoshaphat's action, his reaction to the situation, which was, was a response, which caused a chain reaction in the people of Judah, which brought them all to the same place to do what? seek God's face now Jehoshaphat wasn't doing this alone he wasn't alone and as a child of God we shouldn't be alone either when we're in a time of crisis we can call out to our brothers and sisters in Christ who can come and seek the Lord alongside us nobody likes to go to go through a crisis alone nobody wants to go through a crisis alone but a lot of times the crisis that we're going through we're so embarrassed about it that we don't tell anybody However, you have brothers and sisters that love you who want to bear your burdens alongside you and to pray for you and to prop you up and encourage you. And and, um, in, in order to do that, we must bring God's people together and pray and to seek God's face and we can get through it. That's the way that we must respond whenever the crisis shows up at our doorstep, whether we can see it coming from a mile away or it shows up on our back doorstep knocking and we have no time to prepare for it the best thing that we can possibly do is seek God. Seek His help. God, now what? Especially in your, when you're in a position where you have no power against it to change it anyway. You've got to go to the one who does have that power to change it. So he set himself to seek the Lord in this. And now Jehoshaphat, he's now standing in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. All of Judah has now gathered around him. They're in the house of the Lord. Now, now now Judah can do one of two things. He can either continue to seek God's face in this, or he can take a prideful position and start trying to direct people to do what he thinks might be right without seeking the Lord's help to begin with. He can start now it would it wouldn't it wouldn't be a surprise to see someone in this position, first off throwing out commands, they look, you need to do this, you need to do this, go get an army, get all the men here, get women and children, get them going to the north to get them out of here and start making decisions without seeking the Lord first. But we see that Jehoshaphat does not do that. What he does in the presence of all of these people is he humbles himself before God, and he addresses God in a prayer here in verses 6 through 12. So he sets himself to seek the face of God. He, the, the, the people of Judah come to do the same thing, to seek help from the Lord. And now Jehoshaphat, the leader of the people of Judah, now humbles himself, and he begins his prayer in verse 6. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, you are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you. Now, what he has done in the opening phrase of his prayer here is he's recognizing who God is. He is recognizing who God is and his position above all kingdoms and all nations, and the power that he possesses. He recognizes who God is, therefore that is probably why, in fact I know that is exactly why, he is starting to seek the Lord for the help. Because if there's anyone who can help him, it's going to be the one who's over all kingdoms and all nations. It's going to be the one who who possesses all power and all knowledge. So it's very wise for us to seek this God, our God, when we come to a time of crisis, especially when it's one when we don't know what to do about it. So he's recognizing who God is. God, yes, you are above all kingdoms and nations. You are over this kingdom over which I stand. God, you are over the kingdoms of the Moabites and the Edomites and, 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 and Mount Seir. You are over all of those. and The power is in your hand. No one can withstand you. That's why we are coming to seek help from God you. And in verse 7, not only do they recognize who God is in verse 6, but in verse 7, they recognize God for what he has already done. He says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, and they dwell in it and and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name? God, this is what you've done. We understand that you have the power. You drove out the inhabitants of this land. You have promised this land to Abraham, your friend, forever. And we have built a sanctuary here, and we've put your name on it. But we know what you can do. We know you're the right person for the job. That's what we're calling upon you and you alone. We're not going to these to these neighboring nations and asking help from their armies. We're not sending out help for that. We're not trying to weaponize every man, woman, and child to fight these off. But God, we are coming to you because of who you are and what you have already done. In verse 9, not only they recognize who God was and and then they recognize what God has already done with them in that land, but in verse 9, they kind of say, well, this is what we're going to do. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save us. God, you know the crisis in which we are. God, we want to praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done. God, this situation isn't something that's come to a surprise by you, but if a disaster comes upon us, whether it is sword, whether it is judgment, pestilence, or famine, this great army has come upon us, but we will stand in your temple. We will stay in your presence, and we will cry out to your name in our affliction, and, Lord, you will hear us. These people of Judah recognize who God is. They've seen what God can do, and they know the best place for them is right there in the very presence of God and to remain unmovable until God directs otherwise. So they're seeking the face of God even now. And notice they haven't even mentioned what the problem is. They haven't even got to that part yet. But they praise God for who he is, what he has done, and making a commitment that they're going to stand firm in in his very presence regardless of what may become of them whether it's the pestilence or the sword or the judgment. And when we come to, Whenever we respond to a crisis in our lives, when we come across hard times, we have to understand we must be willing to make the same commitment. No matter how it drives us, no matter how it tears us down, no matter how much it beats us up and takes us down to the ground, we must make the commitment that we are going to stand firm in the very presence of God and cry out to you in our affliction. And Lord, hear us when we pray. In verse 10, verse 10 is where they begin to cry out in their affliction and speaking of the things that are happening right now. And apparently, Jehoshaphat is really good on his Israelite history here. As he points out in um, in verse 10, he says, And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Whom you would not let Israel invade when we came out of the land of Egypt. You wouldn't let us invade them. Says, but they turned from them, and we did not destroy them. And here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. It says God, we know who you are. We know what you've done. We know the promise that you made to Abraham. This is the land that we are, have inherited. God, we're going to stand firm in your presence. But now, this is what our problem is: the people of Ammon, the people of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These are the people whom you would not let us invade when we came out of Egypt. You remember back in Deuteronomy chapter two, verses four, nine, and nineteen, and Numbers chapter twenty and twenty-one. Whenever we passed through these nations, you told us not to harass the people, but peacefully pass through them. And even Edom, Edom, they would not even allow us to come through their land. But you would not let us invade. You told us to back up and go around and find another route. And now, because we, now even though we gave them, uh, we did not invade them. We did not take over and invade their land. They are now coming back and they're at our doorstep, knocking on our back door, wanting to fight against us. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession that you have given to us to inherit. And then we see the final cry, part of his prayer here in verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you. God, we are looking to you for our next step. We are looking to you for the solution to the problem. I'm not going to go ahead of you, but I'm waiting for you to speak. I'm waiting for your direction. Our eyes are completely upon you and you alone. They sought out to seek God for help. The people of Judah came and did the same thing. They have gathered together. They have recognized who their God is. They have have recognized what God has done. They have identified the crisis, and their final plea to God is, I have no idea what we're going to do, God, but our eyes are on you. When it comes to a crisis, we must be very careful with the sources that we draw from for the solution to the problem. Be very careful to the people whom you listen to. Just because you can find a friend who can agree with the decision that you have made doesn't mean it's the right one. We need to be very careful that whenever we, whenever we come across a crisis or any decision that we're making in our lives, it needs to be grounded in the very word of God and we need to make sure that we are stepping in obedience to what God is saying and how we are to handle the crisis in which we are currently in. We must be very careful To keep our eyes on the Lord in a crisis. It is very easy for us to take our eyes off and to find a quicker, more tangible solution. And to take what the world is offering as a solution, even though we know it may contradict what God's word says. And a lot of times we will go go through the word of God. Yeah, the word of God says this about that certain situation, but my situation is a little bit more complicated than that. But in all reality, it's really not because God has truly spoken. And any time we take a step in a direction where God is not leading, or, go, or in, in a direction where God has not spoken, or in a direction that goes contrary to his word, we are taking our eyes off of him. But here they made a commitment that they will stand firm in his presence and they are in a really bad situation where this great multitude is coming against them they have no power over them at all it is it is it is a certain death if something doesn't happen but yet they said our eyes are upon you and that is what we are going to do but even after praying here something i really want us to take a look at in verse 13 in verse 13, after they get through with their prayer, you can almost see a silence kind of come over the the people, as if there's like an anticipation time between verses 12 and verses 15. It's almost like an anticipation of something that is supposed to come, and yes, that is exactly what they're doing. They're waiting on a response. In verse 13, it says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives their children they stood before the lord stood understand the threat is still there <laughs> there's still a force to be reckoned the th- the force has not been eliminated yet they're still in their backyard now they have prayed to god they've recognized him they've sought his face and now we have a time That they are waiting. I don't know how long the wait is between verses 12 and verses 15, but however, what we see here is we see a people of God, the people of Judah, who are trusting in God and seeking his face. And they're so confident about the fact that in in God's presence is the right place to be that they are there with their women, they're there with their children, and they're there with their little ones waiting for instruction. And they're not panicking and running away from the enemy, but they're trusting God that he is going to come through. They believe what they said in in verse number nine, that we will cry out in our affliction and you will hear and save. So this morning, what we've covered so far is that we must respond to a crisis properly. How would you like to see how it turns out? Come back next Sunday. Come back next Sunday and we'll talk about how to get through the crisis as opposed to just responding to it. But as our, our musicians, they come forward. As they prepare for a time of invitation, you may be someone who's going through a crisis and you may have responded wrongly. But anything, in anything, in any part of our lives, it is very crucial that one, Jehoshaphat just, just didn't decide one day that he's going to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat was someone who faithfully followed his God as a daily practice. And therefore, when the crisis came to his back door, he was prepared and ready to seek God's face and to trust God.